So good to see you today, and we appreciate you being here. I want to encourage you to do something as we are continuing in this series called The Disciple. The Disciple, what it really means to follow Jesus. What I've found out over the years, and even maybe sometimes in my preaching, in my ministry, I've been in a little light on on what it really means to follow Jesus. You know, we tend to try to dumb down the requirements many times to be what Christ wants us to be. And I think it's time we raise the bar a little bit and began to step up to another level and really understand what it means to follow Jesus. And so as we begin today, I want us to pray. I'm going to ask God to open your heart. I believe there are people here today that really need what I'm about to say, that it will ultimately make the biggest difference in your life that's ever been made. I believe God has something for us, but let's open our hearts and pray. Father, today... We just open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, we don't want to be as the, the seed or the ground where the seed fell on stony ground or are filled with things that choke the word. We want our hearts to be open and, and fertile and prepared and ready for your word to set up residence in our heart today. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Well, you know where, where our, our launching pad has to be. When, you're talking about, when you talk about being a disciple, it has to be the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the last words of our Lord prior to his ascension into heaven. I want us all to read it out loud together. Don't just whisper it. I want you to read it out loud like you were up here and you didn't have a microphone. Could you do that with me? And you wanted everybody to hear. Let's all do it together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the purpose of the church. That's you and my collective and cooperative effort that God has given us. This is the call. This is the mandate. This is the Great Commission. Jesus commissioned us to go and to make disciples. A couple of weeks ago when we started this series, I gave you three thoughts that you need to understand about discipleship and its definition. What is discipleship? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Well, discipleship defined is three things. This is what we said. Number one, it's a call to follow Jesus. You see, when Jesus called his disciples, what was the first thing he said? This is not rocket science. What's the first thing he said? That, thank you so very much. Let's all say it together. Follow me. In fact, one of the gospels says he called them just to be with him, just to follow him. That's the beginning ground. Discipleship is a call by Jesus to follow him, not just to know about him, not just even to know him. You know, I know a lot of people, but I don't follow them. I know a lot of folks all over the world. I don't follow them. I am not necessarily their disciple. Jesus walked into their life. Even from Matthew, the tax collector, to Peter, the fisherman, it, you, know, uh, you know, your economic uh, uh, status or whatever it makes no difference to him. All of us have a call to follow Jesus. The second thought that is certainly linked to that thought when we think about discipleship, not only is it a call to follow Jesus, but it's a call to fish for men. He told Peter and he told the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, some of us are in the process, but listen, we've got to continue the process. In fact, in this last quarter of the year, we're going to just continue to focus on the fact that it's time to go fishing. Tell your neighbor, it's time to go fishing. 
You know, some people know I'm a fisherman from the standpoint of just loving to fish. Uh, and they say, you've been fishing lately. Uh, and I, well, no, no. But you know what? All of us need to be fishing all the time for the souls of men. Aren't you glad somebody went fishing for you? I'm telling you, I'm glad people cared about me and my mother cared about me and she led me to Christ and I gave my life to Christ. I'm thankful for others that just brought me on into the fold. A discipleship defined is a call to follow Jesus. It's a call to fish for men. And I'm, I'm just challenging us all this week. Let's go fishing. Tell somebody, let's go fishing. And then thirdly, we learned that a discipleship is a call to fellowship with others. In Acts chapter 2, when the church was born, it says that they all continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and the breaking of bread and fellowship and prayers. How many of you know fellowship is so powerfully important? You see, discipleship is not uh, uh, something we do all alone. It's a cooperative effort, amen? And so they talked about discipleship defined, and then last week we talked about discipleship's decisions. And if you've missed either one of these, I want to encourage you to go to iTunes or go to our website and just listen carefully. Last week, I think, was one of the most important messages you and I will hear all year. It's decisions that we all have to make in order to follow Jesus. You know, when you look at the life of Christ, his three-year ministry, he wasn't trying to get a crowd. He was trying to make a crowd. He, you know, he had the crowds, but, you know, the crowds were finicky. He was looking for disciples. And when the church was born, there was only 120 up in the upper room, plus women and children. All the multitudes had left him. But that's what Jesus started with to build his church. And so I encourage you to, to go back, and especially these last two Sundays, and, and get the messages and listen to them. If you've got an iPhone, or uh, so you, can, you can download the podcast on iTunes, and you can listen. You can whistle while you work. You can listen while you work. I want to encourage you to get a hold of that. And today, now don't shout me down, but today, and I want you to turn. I should have told you this earlier. Turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Today... We're going to talk about the disciples' denial. The disciples' denial. Turn to Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to read a number of verses. I'm going to lay a little foundation so you'll understand a little more about what Jesus and why Jesus was saying what he said. But I want you to look in verse 24 first, and then we'll back up. Here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, stop and look up. Hey, he's talking to who? His disciples. Hopefully that's us. Those who have endeavored to follow him, to fish for men and to fellowship with the saints. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Somebody say deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. Listen, that's not an easy message. That's, that's not how you get a crowd. It's talk, talking about all the things you have to give up. You know, we even tend, people say, well, you know, I don't want to come to Christ because you got to give up this, you got to give up that. It's not what you give up. It's all about what you gain. Discipleship is about who we are in Christ. But Jesus looked them right in the eye, and there was a reason he did this. And I'm going to back up and read this to you. Why he said, listen, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, how many of you ever got something right on a test? Uh, yes. How many of you ever got anything wrong on a test? Well, Peter, he, got, he had two tests here in these verses I'm going to read to you. One he got right, 
and one he got wrong. And let's get the context. It's found, oh, let's begin in verse, oh, I want to jump in in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his what? His who? His disciples saying, who do men say that I the son of man am? Some they said, uh, so they said, some say John the Baptist and some Elijah and others, uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now here's the right answer. Simon Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Everybody go ding, 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 ding. You got it right. No, eh, he got it right. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. In other words, Peter was in the flow. How many of you like it when you're in the flow? Man, you're in the flow. And Jesus looked at him and blessed him. He said, blessed are you. And he said, I also say to you that you are Peter. He just changed his name, by the way. Simon, just the side notes, not in my notes. Or your Simon means uh, a kind of one driven by the wind, a reed driven by the wind, reflecting instability. But all of a sudden... Jesus, because he got this right answer, changed his name. And it, the reading is, I'm going to begin to call you what you will one day be. How many of you know we're not always where we need to be? But Peter, uh, pardon me, Jesus saw something in Peter when he got this answer right. And he said, I'm going to begin to call you what you will one day be. I'm going to call you a rock. You're no longer a, a reed driven by the wind and tossed to and fro. You're a rock. And, and also I say to you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And, on earth, and, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. That always bugs me a little bit. But I think he wanted to just validate it on his own in just a few days when he rose from the dead. Uh, how many of you know until people see something and get a revelation of it, doesn't matter what you say. And so then he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. You see, the disciples should have known this. But they were shocked and dismayed even when this happened. They were, had ears to hear, but they were not hearing. And Peter, now he's feeling his oats because he just got his name changed. He just got a right answer. He just got blessed by Jesus. Peter took him aside. Now, I can just see this. And he, it says he began to rebuke him. Not a good idea. Peter began to rebuke the Lord and said, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. But he, that is Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And then it says, he said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, 
the bigger context here is the disciples didn't have ears to hear. You know what they were thinking? Jesus was going to build an earthly kingdom and Peter was going to one day be right-hand man to the first-hand man and that is the Lord of glory. They could not understand and they could not conceive God's eternal purpose and plan. And when Jesus began to talk about crucifixion, about dying, and Peter, man, this is messing up my plans. This is messing up what I'm thinking we need to be doing here. And he rebukes the Lord. And at that point, Jesus rebukes him. Listen, when you, if you ever think you're big and bad enough to rebuke the Lord, listen, you, just wait till he calls you a devil. Whew, he, went, he went from the rock to a devil in a matter of moments. And then Jesus introduced this discipleship principle of denial. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I'm sure a little bit of a light came on in Peter's eye at that moment, unless he was licking his wounds from being called a devil by the Lord of glory. But this morning, I want to show you three simple thoughts about what it means to deny yourself. What it means to, to deny what you want to do and your will and your way and begin to think and ponder the things of God rather than the things of men. And I want to say this statement to you, and you need to embrace this. Denial always involves death. Death is always a part of denial. We've got to die to our own things and our own ways and our own will. In fact, Paul said this in Galatians uh, chapter 2 verse 20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. What did he say? I'm just dead. In fact, one other verse, he said, I die daily. Every day, there's some areas of my life that need to die. And if we're going to deny ourselves, we're going to have to realize that there's some things on the inside of all of us that have to die. And I want to share with you three simple thoughts about what it means to deny yourself. Let me recommend a book to you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Everyone say Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think he was from Germany. Years ago wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And when you lived when Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived in the days of communism or whatever, the, you know, the German uh, Reich or whatever, it, hey, it, there was a cost to discipleship. And Christians paid a great cost, and a lot of Christians lost their lives in that day. And here's what he says in the cost of discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them to come and die. And so there's some death involved in the denial of ourself. And from these passages, let me just show you some thoughts today. Number one, if we're going to deny ourselves, uh, it requires us, and it requires a crucifixion of our mindset. The way we think. And that's what he was getting to with Simon Peter there. He said, he rebuked him. Peter rebuked Jesus, and Jesus turned around and rebuked him. Get behind me, Satan, for you're an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. In other words, Simon was not thinking about the things of God. He was thinking about himself. 
And if we call ourselves disciples, come on now, I'm telling you, this wouldn't be an amen, shout me down message. If we want to be disciples, Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, he's got to deny himself. And he's speaking to that thought, that mindset that Peter had. Hey, I, hey, this is all about us. You, you, can't, you can't rain on our party now by dying and, 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 and leaving us. We got big plans. It's all about us. And, and, and Jesus got right into his mindset. He said, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. You're thinking about yourself. We've got to have a cru- we've got to understand if we're going to be his disciple and we're going to deny ourselves, we're going to have to crucify our mindset. You know, humanity is by nature self-centered. Did you know that? Just watch the kids play. Last night I had Ty and Taylor on my lap with one iPad. That's a, me- that's a, that's a, what's a prescription for disaster. Because there's only one iPad and two kids. We are by nature, all of us, say it, selfish. It is our nature. We, are, we have a sinful nature. Now, let me make this statement to you, and maybe this will, in a good way, put the fear of God in you. Our selfish nature is the satanic inroad to our soul. Our selfish nature, let's say it together, our selfish nature is a satanic inroad to the soul. Jesus cut right to the chase. He addressed the real issue. You're selfish, Peter. You're thinking about yourself, and I recognize the source of it. It is demonic. Now, that's our flesh, but he, hey, when we yield to the selfishness of our soul, when we think we can follow Jesus, but think it's all about us and me, myself, and I, listen, all we're doing in reality is opening the door for Satan to enter our life and undermine the destiny of God for our life and undermine the real uh, call of God on our life to be his disciple. So there's got to come in our life, and I think it's a daily thing. Like Paul said, I die daily because how many of you know every day, we have an opportunity to choose his will or our will. And if we continue to choose my thing and my life and my hopes and my dreams and it's all about me. I don't know if you've read, read The Purpose Driven Life, but the first statement in The Purpose Driven Life is it's not about you. And so if we're going to deny ourselves, we've got to, there's got to come a crucifixion of our mindset. Even the temptation of Jesus when, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know, Jesus was all God, but he was also what? All man. How many of you know he got tired? He got weary? He was tempted? In all points as we are, yet without sin? And you know what the devil was appealing to in, in, when he tempted him to turn the rocks into bread and all those things? He was tempted. He was tempting the nature, the, the man nature, the, the, the humanity side of Christ to yield to his potentially selfish nature. Jesus didn't yield to it. But Satan is trying to, hey, you want to open the door to Satan? Just get real selfish about life. Hello, are you with me? It's the inroad to our soul. And so we've got to learn We've got to realize that God is looking to us to crucify the way we think. 
and move from a self-centered mindset to a God-centered mindset. Move from a temper, you know, most of us, it's all about the now. It's the temporal things. We've got to move from a temporally minded thinking to an eternally minded thinking. We've got to begin to realize, hey, it's all about eternity. It's not about the here and now. It's about eternity. And we've got to come to a place where we say no to ourselves and, and, and say, as Jesus said there in the garden, nevertheless. You see, Jesus in the garden, once again, he was struggling. He said, Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, let it do so. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Let me just say, God's will is always best. And he resisted the inroad of the enemy into his soul by yielding to the governance of God and, and, and continuing to crucify the mindset of selfishness in his life. And that's what God is calling all of us to do, to come to a place. I'm reminded in Luke chapter 12, listen to this. This is a power. Uh, Jesus taught this throughout the gospels and throughout parables and stories and illustrations. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, uh, it's, a, it's a parable of a rich fool. Everybody say a rich fool. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being rich. I said there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having riches. It's just riches can't have you. And when riches start to own you rather than you own riches, you become foolish. Because you start thinking it's all about you. Look what Jesus said, the parable of the rich fool. Then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Did you get that? And then he spoke a parable to them and said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build, big, build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say, catch how many times he says about himself. He said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will be those things by which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Man. So you see, if we're going to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, there has to come a crucifixion of our mindset. We've got to become God-centered. And quit thinking about the moment and begin to think about God. Matthew 6, Jesus taught, taught this about laying up treasures in heaven. He said, you, you know, you, you spend all your time laying up treasures on earth. you got to lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. What's he saying? Begin to think about eternity. There must come a crucifixion of our mindset. Number two, if we're going to deny ourselves... It requires a crucifixion of motive. It's basically another way to say the same thing, but let me show you this. If you go back to uh, 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 Matthew chapter 16, I want you to look here and see what Jesus said to him and said 
to the disciples here concerning the motive of our heart and life and why we do the things we do. He said this in verse 25 and 26. He said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, he's speaking to motive. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He's talking about why we do the things we do. He said, if you want to save your life, if that's all the motive of your life, you're going to lose it. But if you crucify yourself to your motives and begin to yield to the motivation of God, you'll find life. It comes exactly opposite of the selfish nature of man. If you're going to, if you're going to try to hang on to it, you're going to end up losing it. You know, the Bible says uh, in, in one of the Old Testament, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, see, I'm shooting from the hip here. He's talking about we get money, but it, it, we try to hold on to it all and put it in our pockets, but we have holes in our pockets and it just keeps falling out. You, you're trying to save it and it just keeps falling out. If you're going to spend all, if your motive is all about you and you say, hey, I'm going to, I want life, I want this, I want that. There was a missionary in the mid-50s by the name of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a young man, and he had a burning heart desire to make a difference in the world. He began to get a burden for Ecuador, and there were unreached people in Ecuador, and he was a pilot, and he of his, some of his young buck friends, they got fired up and, 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 and inspired to reach this unreached people group that nobody had ever reached with the gospel, and they would, they would fly their plane low over their village, and they would drop off goods and try to try to make friends so they would think, uh, you know, when this airplane comes by, it's a blessing. And so they, they ended up landing their plane and began to, what they thought, make friends with these, I think they called them the Alka Indians. And so they got, they felt like they'd made great inroads. And then the next time when they made contact with them, they landed the plane. I think there were four or five. And these Indians came out and massacred all of them. They found Jim Elliott's body floating down the river on his first missionary attempt. He lost his life. And before Jim Elliott ever lost his life, he penned these words. He said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain, what he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, he had already been crucified to his motivation. He had already laid his life on the altar of sacrifice. And you think, man, what a waste. On his first real shot at making a difference in the world, he and his, his compatriots lose their life. But there's, a, there's not the end of that story. Days later, Life wrote a 12-page article about Jim Elliott. And his picture was plastered across the front cover of Life magazine. And his inspiring story stirred thousands and thousands of young men and women to give their life to the mission field. And the Bible says unless a grain of seed or a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it'll bring forth much fruit. You see, all of us have to have a crucifixion 
of why we do what we do. Why are we, you know what, here's what I'm convinced of. Many of us do his business for our benefit. We have a mindset, if I just do this for him, he's going to have to do that for me. If I, just, if I just do this for him, then he's going to do this for me. And then really our motivation is not for God's glory. It's just ultimately for our benefit. And if you're going to deny ourselves, if we're going to really be his disciples, not only must there be a crucifixion of our mindset and begin to realize, hey, it's not about me, but it's not about the, our motives must be judged under the microscope of God's will and plan for our life. In fact, it says this about the master's motive here in verse 27. It says, the son of man will come in, in the glory of his father with his angels and he will reward each according to his works. Did you know Jesus lived his life on planet earth, not for his benefit, but for the glory of God, for the benefit of almighty God. And that's the real motivation of all of us. And when Jesus prayed for us in John 17, when he was about to suffer the crucifixion of his, uh, on the cross, he was praying to his father and he said this, I have glorified you while I've been here on the earth. My motives have been pure. And now I'm ready to be glorified. I came to tell you today that if we're going to be disciples, we've got to come to a place of a crucifixion of our own life. Hey, denial always involves death. And discipleship is not about us. It's about others. It's about those who have yet to name the name of Christ. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. He said, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's where we've got to come to. It's not about what I want. It's not about the, moment, mo, uh, the motivation of my life. God help us. Somebody say, God help us. God help us come to the place where the motive of our life when we wake day and night is not for my will or my desires or my dreams, but for his glory. May I live for his glory. And if it means dying uh, uh, by my airplane, by the hand of an Alka Indian on my first shot out, so be it for the glory of God. Jim's little wife, though traumatized, came back continued the mission efforts in fact I think a movie and a book that through gates of splendor you can read about it and the Alka Indian who wielded a death blow to Jim Elliot was baptized and became a born again believer unless a seed falls into the ground of die and does it abides alone. You see, we can spend all our time trying to gain what we can gain, and we'll lose it. But if we give our life away on the altar of sacrifice, we'll gain what God has for us to gain. It's not about what you lose. It has everything to do with what you gain. Are you with me? Say amen.
And finally today, if we're going to deny ourselves, we, there's, there's got to become a crucifixion of our mindset. And there's got to be a crucifixion of our motive. And then there's got to be a crucifixion of our method. Now, let me show you this in verse 26. Jesus said, what profit is, is it to you if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I'm, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but let me just kind of uh, uh, explain something to you. The Old Testament. The Old Testament methodology to be right with God was always bringing something to Him to give. We gotta bring an, we gotta bring a sacrifice. We gotta pay a price. We gotta bring a, a lamb. We've gotta bring a, 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 an offering. And, and we keep bringing offerings. And they just had to keep bringing offerings and keep bringing offerings. And all the time we're bringing offerings. And that was the mindset of everyone. I've got something I've gotta do in order to get God to, to help me and bless me. And the more I do, the more He'll bless me and the more I do. That's the wrong methodology for us. We've got to come to the place where we realize you can't be good enough to get to God. We can't get, you know, we're talking about laying our lives on the altar, but listen, uh, we, but we've talked about the motive. The motive is for God's glory. And the methodology to gain God's approval is not just keep paying a big price because Jesus, as we sang and as we've already learned, he's already paid the price. And we've got to change the methodology of how we come to Christ. And that's by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. And that's not even of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. Let me just say, there's born-again believers that believe they've got to just keep working and keep working to gain God's approval. You can't do it right enough to get God to love you any more than He already loves you. And if we're going to deny ourselves, we got to realize something. Hey, and and let me just say it to you this way. I kind of put it in a way maybe you can understand it. Our willing sacrifice is not our expense for God's grace, but it's our expression of God's grace. You see, when you sacrifice, when you lay it on the altar, hey, Jim Elliott was no more saved before he died than after he died. He was no more right with God than before he lost his life than after. You understand what I'm saying? His sacrifice didn't gain God's grace for him. It was an expression of God's grace already at work in his life. In other words, how are we going to lay our lives on the altar of sacrifice? By his grace. His unmerited favor in our life. We think about sacrifice. Who's gone there for us? Jesus Christ. In fact, Titus 3, 5 says, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Listen, if you're going to die to self, if we're going to deny ourselves, we got to lean upon his grace and realize, hey, the methodology has changed. He's provided us an inroad to him, not by working and doing and paying the price and, 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 and sacrificing to, to gain God's approval. No, he paid the ultimate price. You can't gain God's approval any more than you already have. You just have to walk in that grace and realize by his grace, I am what I am. And by his grace, I will do what I do. Jim Elliott laid his life on the altar of sacrifice. Why? Because he was a recipient and a beneficiary of God's grace. And the fact that he laid his life on the altar of sacrifice was just an expression of God's grace. 
That's why he was able to say, even before it all happened, and he said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain, what he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. It's not foolish to give it all to him, because if you give it up, you'll gain his mercy and grace in your life. We can't sacrifice enough to earn God's mercy and grace. And as we close today, I want us to ponder our life. Ponder where we are in our walk with Him. Listen, let me just say it to you this way. Maturity ought to move us from selfishness to sacrifice. Are you with me? My wife, two or three times this last 24 hours, she said, Thank you, honey, for taking such good care of me. Like she's amazed. (laughs) Like she's surprised. Listen, maturity should just naturally produce a willingness to self-sacrifice. Hey, it's it's not about me. Think about little children. What is it all about? It's about them. I was handing out gummy worms last night. Taylor Deanne, she seems a little standoffish. Pull out the gummy worms. It'll all melt away. And she puts one in her mouth and goes. I said, chew it up. Chew it up. Put another. It's all about her. She's just a baby. But as we grow in Christ, it's not about us. It's time to grow up and realize, hey, it's not about me. I've got to allow God to crucify the way I think. And I want to be God-centered, not self-centered. It's time to grow up and realize it's not about me, it's about others. We've got to come to a place where we allow God to crucify the motivations of our life and realize it's not about what I want, it's about what He, it's for His glory that I do what I do. It's not for accolades of others, it's for His glory that one day when I stand before Him, I will hear Him say, well done, now good and faithful servant. We've got to crucify our methods and realize, hey, you think you can gain God's goodness by being good that's all hey it's by his grace let's stand up together I want to read you one more quote and then we're going to pray today Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in that book The Cost of Discipleship he said so many people come to church with a genuine desire to hear what he has to say yet they are hear what we have to say Yet they are always going back home with the uncomfortable feeling that we are making it too difficult for them to come to Jesus. Let me read it again. So many people come to church with a genuine desire to hear what we have to say, yet they always go home with an uncomfortable feeling that we're making it too difficult for them to come to Jesus. Listen. Taking up your cross and following Him is a difficult road. But how do we do it? By His grace. You see, He's been there before. His grace will carry you. 
Discipleship is not about you. It's about what all he can do through you for the sake of others. That's what the Great Commission is all about. It doesn't say go into all the world and do things that make disciples. So today as we close, all of us need to come to the altar in our hearts and begin the process of dying to ourselves. And realize no matter how much you try to hang on to it, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll gain it. You see, Jim Elliott, in a moment, as an Alka Indian spear pierced his heart, stood before Jesus at the place of great gain. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Father, today I personally recognize my need to die to my own self and live to you. Lord, help us crucify our selfish mindsets. Help us crucify our selfish motivations. Lord, help us crucify our religious, legalistic methodology that we've tried to use to implore your blessing upon our life. Help us today to lay our lives on the altar of sacrifice. And as Paul said, let us also be able to say, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. We lay our lives on the altar of sacrifice today. We lay our jobs, we lay our future, we lay our families. We realize it doesn't belong to us. In fact, we are not our own. We belong to you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment, it's not yet noon, but if you're here today and you've never given your life over to the influence and the control of Jesus Christ, now would be a great time. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you can say, Pastor, I don't know if I've ever really made a commitment to Christ, but today, I'll, if you'll lead me, I'll, I'll, I'll yield myself to your to his governance and control. If that's you today, it's something on the inside of you as I'm talking. You know you, 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 you don't really know him. You've heard about him, but you have no relationship with him. And today, you want to get to know Jesus and to let him to be the Lord and the leader of your life. Wherever you are, lift your hand and say, pray for me right where I'm standing. I want to ask Christ into my heart. Anyone here? Lift your hand, and I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I know I belong to him, but I've not really allowed him to be the Lord and the leader of my life. I've not really understood what it means to be a disciple, and I've really lived my life as a newborn babe, always thinking it's about me. But today I want to grow up and begin to realize that maturity brings sacrifice. And today I'm making a commitment to begin to allow God to crucify that flesh on the inside of me that thinks it's all about me. If that's you today, lift your hand wherever you are. I've got my hand up. Father, today we just yield to the, to the cross. We deny ourselves today. And Lord, we take up our cross. And we commit to follow you today, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we don't want to hang on to our life. We want to let go so you can give us what we really need. And we thank you for it. Lord, today we make a choice to deny ourselves. 
take up our cross and follow you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Let's give the Lord of glory some praise today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.